You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 107. Well, hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about why most PMOs are not designed to maximize impact and how that affects the organizations that they support and show you the most important change you can make to vastly improve your portfolio's performance. Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by Tempest Resource. Tempest Resource gives PMOs actionable intelligence, cutting-edge analytics, and real-time scenario analysis, all while minimizing the overhead of managing a resource portfolio. Learn more at pmostrategies.com forward slash 074. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash 074. Check out their demo and learn a little bit more about how they can help you make a bigger impact. Okay, let's do this. With me today is one of my dearest friends in the whole world, someone I've known for a very long time and someone that's taught me a lot about portfolio management and portfolio performance, my dear friend, Mike Hannon. Mike is a leading edge thinker and a renegade who believes that we all must do more to unleash our boundless potential and solve increasingly complex global issues. He envisions a community-centric, expert-guided, power-to-the-edge solution to most of these issues, and I've seen this firsthand myself. For leaders and managers, this means open platform approaches to innovating and sharing the most effective management practices. For consultants and other experts, this means that we are too often part of the problem, I couldn't agree more, and need to do a much better job of channeling our expertise in a way that delivers much greater impact. Now, before I introduce him, I also just want to share that Mike has been one of my closest friends, like I said, for a long time. He helped us start a nonprofit together. We did, the three of us with Kendall Lott, called Project Management for Change, which is all about unleashing the boundless potential of project management to do good in our local and global communities. He's one of the nicest people I know and has been a great mentor to my son, Grayson, who he taught to run properly <laughs> many years ago so he could get around those bases even faster. With all of that said, Mike, thank you for always saying yes to my crazy ideas. Thank you for being here today. And I cannot wait to dive into this topic. Lana, do I say yes to all of them? Well, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> at least you didn't say what Andy Jordan did was that he was scared of me. I don't think right. you're scared of me at all. Maybe you should be. I don't know. <laughs> Let's just say respectful of your power, Laura. <laughs> I love you, Mike. That's great. Okay. So let's talk about this. You have a very interesting perspective here, and I think it's going to cause the yeah, but monster to crawl up on some people's shoulders here when we're talking about this today. So impact driver, you listening to me here today, you listening to this story, stay with us because not only can Mike talk the talk, but he can walk the walk and prove it to you. So let's talk about what's really going on here, Mike. Today, this year, every year, but it seems to be getting even worse, PMO leaders, project managers, portfolio managers, everyone that's working on change in their organizations are being pulled in even more directions all at once. 
people always seem to have at least 15 balls in the air. And you mentioned something really important, which is that you can still find many job descriptions out there that emphasize the importance of multitasking. And my reaction to that is, haven't people realized yet that multitasking doesn't work and it just creates a lot of poor quality outcomes? So we've got this constant battle that we're fighting. And I even see this with sometimes with my students in our Impact Engine PMO coaching program. We just talked about this in our last session about how they can fly the plane while they're trying to build it. So right, right. even our business leaders are kind of pushing us to do that. And I think that problem perpetuates itself all the way to every project that's in a portfolio and frankly, how we're even setting them up to begin with. So can you talk to me about what you're seeing in organizations, what you've been experiencing? Yeah. So first of all, let's talk about the good news. The good news is I think there is greater realization about the evils of multitasking or what psychologists more formally call task switching, right? Or context switching, which is what the human brain can do, but not without losing our flow and slowing us down, right? So that realization is becoming more pervasive on an individual level. But what we're doing in organizations is we're hampering individual initiatives to pursue more single task focus by overloading people, Mm. right? So it's not enough to just say, hey, everyone, it's better to be focused. Hey, everyone, it's better to focus on one thing at a time. Hey, everyone, the jugglers should be in a circus, not in our office environment, right? Right. You have to also remove the sources of disruption and distraction. And that's where organizations fall down. Okay. So it's not enough to just say, all right, we agree. Everyone should be focused. Good luck with that. Right. Right. We have to actually take away the sources. So, and oh, by the way, some people, even if they know that their performance degrades when they try and task switch, they often like it just because it keeps things interesting. It offers variety in their day, right? Maybe they're kind of bored on one of the tasks on their to-do list and and they feel like just switching to something else. Well, Um, I can tell you, Mike, when I'm having a slow internet day, I find myself doing it. Like, okay, well, wait for this page to load. I'm going to go do something else. Yeah, (laughs) it drives me crazy to waste. But that's the thing, right? It drives me crazy to waste, right? I hate rework, but I also hate waste. And if there's gaps in time, I want to shove as many things as I can into them. But then it does cause me to do this task switching thing. Yeah, and I think the human brain on this topic anyway, I think has a hard time distinguishing what is more wasteful. right? Because idle time seems like it must obviously be waste, right? right? Like I should be doing something. But the reality is when we're busy with juggling a bunch of things and we end up delivering all of them much more slowly than we could otherwise, we don't always understand that we just experienced a lot of waste there. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of like inputs versus outputs or inputs versus outcomes. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's like, if your assumption is the busier everyone is, the more value we must be delivering, well, then you probably have an organization built around task switching, yeah. right? keeping everyone as busy as possible. If you say no, the more value we get out the other end, the better, mm-hmm. whether people are busy or not, that's a much different set of assumptions that you're going with, right? And right. of course, that set of assumptions is much more defensible, Mm, even though it's a bit more it's a bit counterintuitive to experience it like wait sitting idle sometimes can help the system deliver more like the organization i'm a part of deliver more how how does that work right It it seems very strange and that's exactly what leaders have to become more aware of that problem and how to control it right kind of like 
when you know you're about to head into terrible traffic for a long commute home, now that a lot of people are returning to, to the workplace, right. whether, whether they want to or not, right? Right, <laughs> right. You don't have any control over what the traffic situation is. So your only choice is to start earlier, mm-hmm. right? If I want to be home on time, I need to leave earlier. Mm-hmm. Or the sooner I leave, the sooner I'll get there. And that's true. But we, in our organizations, we control the traffic flow and the, and the system. So we can challenge that assumption that the sooner we start, the sooner we finish. And instead say, you know what? If we set the right cadence of how cars can go at maximum speed on this highway and mm-hmm. never overload the highway so that everyone will slow down, we'll get a whole lot more value delivered. So given that we control that system, what do we have to do to make sure we always maintain highway speeds for all the cars that are on the road? Right. Now that might work for cars, but how does that apply to projects inside an organization, especially when, I mean, I don't know if you've seen that. I'm sure you've seen this, but I see this a lot. There's a hundred projects that you're going to do for a year and all of them start at the same time. And so you have a hundred projects, all especially, especially when the annual funding cycle releases the funds at the same time. <laughs> exactly. So it's like everyone firing the gun all yeah. at once. And it's like, whenever that first day is, they all get their budget. Everyone starts hiring. Everyone starts doing the projects. Everyone starts going. And then we're all off to the races, if you will, for a hundred projects at once. So why I, doesn't I would that say work? we're rushing to get onto the congested highway. Ah. <laughs> so we're not really off to the races, are we? <laughs> we're off to the gridlock. <laughs> But what if there wasn't gridlock? What if we could actually control it, right? And so that's what I'm asserting we can do. Yeah, so one real interesting thing on this topic comes out every year by PMI. It's a great public service they do, free to the public. You don't even have to be a PMI member, called the Pulse of the Profession. And it's a a survey uh, resulting from interviews or questionnaires sent to over 5,000 people in project-centric organizations all over the world. And for 15 or more years, the success rates shown in that survey are stuck somewhere in the 60s. And that's not an on-schedule, on-scope, on-budget kind of success. It's a, even if you missed all of those schedule, scope, budget metrics, did the project at least deliver the intended business value? Right. Right. Even if it was over budget, like still did it, do we at least get something out of it that we wanted? Right. Did we do what we said we were going to do? Or just get, was the business intent achieved? So it's a really kind of soft bar. It's a low bar to, to clear, right? Right. But people report that their organizations year over year are stuck in around the 65% range. Mm -hmm. So not even quite two thirds of the time do we deliver on the original intent of of our projects. And the the agile movement, I think, has helped in a lot of ways to try and change that. But the metrics don't show it. There's a lot of other initiatives, improvement efforts and bodies of knowledge that I think carry a lot of um, good thinking. But we're not seeing it in practice. Right. I mean, these rates have stayed stuck until this past year. So all of a sudden we see this bump from like somewhere in the mid 60s to almost the mid 70s. Wow. In in one year. Wow. And nobody really knows exactly why PMI sort of in their report tried to ascertain why you know some possibilities. But nobody knows. Everyone's just sort of guessing. And I'm going to give you mine, which is I think the pandemic forced a lot of organizations to become much better at prioritizing what really matters. Ah, and I think a great yeah. example is universities that traditionally have not had an online component, mm-hmm. suddenly sending students home for spring break and realizing that when they come back from spring break in a week and a half, we better have an online offering or else we're going to have to give tuition refunds for the semester that everyone just lost. <laughs> right? right. So they just got laser focused. 
So they put every single project on hold that might involve a resource that could help transition right. online in no time flat. And if you had asked any of these organizations, hey, look, we think we'd like to put an online program together. We're not going to change our business model away from the on-campus experience, but we think it might be an enhancement, especially for continuing ed or for alumni or for whoever. Hey, could you put together a project plan for how long that might take? I guarantee you would have seen project plans of a year or two. Right, for sure. We have to contract with a LIMS vendor. We have right. to contract with a hosting provider like Amazon or whoever. And right. we should put out competitive bids for that. Well, we'll have to get procurement involved. We'll have to, you know, right, right, right. We'll have to do all this stuff. But when push came to shove, if it was like, no, we, this is an existential crisis. If we don't pivot in the next week and a half, we could be toast as an organization. That gave everyone, I think, a lot more focus. And so I'm not aware of a single university that didn't have some kind of online program ready to roll right. uh, within two weeks. You know, it's interesting now, you say that because, so I have a lot of students in my Impact Engine PMO training and implementation program that are also in the group coaching, a lot of education, healthcare, and all kinds of PMOs that needed to respond super quickly. And I have a couple of examples of exactly what you're talking about. For example, one of my students, and I had her, Andrea Sorelli, I had her on the podcast last year when all this was going on. Her PMO was tasked with helping to set up a COVID testing center in three days, not six months, which is how long it would have taken in the past, right. three days. And they did it. They pulled it off and it was amazing. They stopped doing everything else. They got laser focused. And Andrea, because she follows my impact model, was asking, what can we do here to streamline this process? What steps can we take out of this process? What are the things that are not absolutely necessary? And it changed the way that they now run projects by using that one example of needing to get a COVID testing center up in three days versus six months. And that's what she said. It would have normally taken so much longer, but because they did exactly what we're talking about here, which is get laser focused, put all energy and resources in the right place and remove the overhead, right? They removed the stuff that wasn't absolutely necessary. Same in the educational system for some of my students in working in university, same thing. And you know, this is also a good reminder of minimum viable product, which I know right. is not the focus of this podcast, but I think it all kind of comes together in a, in a harmonious way. Yeah. And that is some universities could do nothing, like they had no infrastructure, they had no online anything, they had nothing to start from or build from. They were starting totally from scratch. And they still did something, yeah. right? And typically that something was record a bunch of instructional videos right. on you and load them to YouTube. And okay, anyone in the world can get that instruction now. They don't have to sign up for classes in your university. Right, <laughs> right, right. Um, right but right. they can't earn a degree from it or whatever. But a lot of that content had been closely guarded. Like that's the last thing we want to do is record our awesome instructors and their amazing content and then just make it available for free. Right. With no learning management system, no way to know whether the student actually watched the video, no way to all that stuff. And so I think that helped people understand, you know what, maybe we're defining the minimum scope still in a way that's too fat. Mm. Like, yes, we probably should put a limbs system in at some point to manage this well. Right. right. Yes, we should probably have it professionally hosted beyond whatever YouTube uses to host things. Right. 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 <laughs> but that doesn't have to be now. Right. Start right? showing so value early. So it's not just overhead. It's even just if value is defined as delivery as soon as possible, which I argue it almost always should be. Right. <laughs> not just in a pandemic or whatever. Right? Right. ROI, baby. <laughs> ROI. <laughs> then the fastest you can get that first increment of value, the better. Right. 
So true. Okay. So totally with you on that. And that's what I'm always telling my students and all of our impact drivers that listen to this podcast is about getting that highest possible return on investment as quickly as possible because the ROI starts to degrade. You don't get a highest quality return on investment if you're going slowly, right? If you take longer yeah, to do every things. Every investor knows ROI, this. Every, right. Every investor knows this. And that's the whole thing, Mike, is that I'm teaching these impact drivers that they should stop calling themselves project managers and start calling themselves investment managers. Love because it. it completely changes the way we talk about the work that we do. So speaking of, let's talk about this most important change that you believe that people should be looking at, our PMO leaders should be looking at, our portfolio managers should be looking at to figure out how to keep that traffic flowing smoothly on the highways. Yeah. So if we can kind of stay with the highway example for a moment. Yeah. If somebody asked you, like, let's use the DC Beltway example. Even if you don't live in DC and you've never been on the Beltway, you can imagine that this is basically a highway system that just does a ring around this metropolitan area, right? And it's always directions. busy, always, and, always busy. It's always, a, it's, much of it is often a choke point for all sorts of other intersections and whatnot. So if somebody were to ask a longtime DC person that's very familiar with the Beltway, hey, where's the biggest bottleneck in that Beltway? They would probably look at you like you're from Mars because everything's bottlenecked. <laughs> What do, you, what, what, do you mean just... the, what do you mean the biggest bottleneck? The whole thing's jammed up. That's right? what I was just thinking. I was like, this is a trick question. If you've been around the DC Beltway, it's like, yes, all of it. And I think that's how we often feel in our organizations. Like everything's gummed up. Yeah. And even when we plan, we plan with very long time horizons that are much, like I said, much longer than the 10 days that a lot of universities pivoted right? Mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. all these other things that we know are going to take that long because we're always waiting on something somewhere. Right. Right. If we put in a request to IT security, well, they're not going to act on that right away. And if we put in a request to purchasing for this or that, well, that's that's going to take a few weeks or whatever. And so we're not used to things that actually flow. Yeah. Kind of like if you've never been on the DC Beltway when it's been flowing, you would be foolish to say, well, it's 20 miles away. So I'll probably be there in 20 minutes. <laughs> right? Silly like, like, you must be new here. Right. Well, not even, <laughs> yeah. not even at three in the morning because then they have half the lane shut down because they're doing construction, right? right? So you can never so, count on it. But then take that example. And now imagine instead you actually hop in a helicopter and take a visual tour of the entire Beltway system and start looking for what I might call a natural choke point. Mm -hmm. And let's say it's your 3 a.m. example where they've closed all but one lane in right. this one section for construction or something. Well, that should jump out as the natural choke point. Right. Like this whole system, if it's flowing well and we start to put a, a few too many cars, then that one lane can handle. That's right. where we'll start to see the backup. Mm -hmm. And everywhere else will be fine. Right. right. So then once we know where the natural bottleneck is, then we could say, well, let's just make sure we never overload any part of the system beyond that one lane of capacity. Mm. Because otherwise we're just sending them into that traffic jam, right? Right, right. We're just sending <laughs> um, more people to sit there. And then again, then the whole system gets jammed up and then we wonder where the bottleneck is because it's everywhere. Right. <laughs> well, but no, if we actually remove what's causing everything to be jammed up, we can then see where the natural bottleneck is more clearly. Hopefully in our project portfolios, you don't need a helicopter to see it. Right. <laughs> right? You can kind of see where the work is piling up. Often it's with your most senior, talented multidisciplinary subject matter experts right. in some area that matters a lot to your organization. Uh, not always, but that's often a, a good first candidate to look. 
kind of like look where there's construction on the highway. Right. Right. <laughs> That's probably a good start. Right? And you don't um, necessarily need a helicopter, but I do like the looking at it from an external perspective and looking down at the whole yeah, big take a picture. system view. Yeah. Right. If you're like at, just at the project level and you're a project manager, which I would equate to a driver in a car. Right. You just know that you're not getting anywhere very fast. Right. <laughs> and there's not much you can do about it. Right? right. But the system, if the system were set up differently to flow better, then, hey, as long as I'm in a car and not a bicycle, right? Mm -hmm. You've given me the resources <laughs> to go right. fast. I'll go fast. Right? right. Well, but at a portfolio manager level, sometimes even at a program management level across the projects in their portfolio or at the PMO level. And then that's one thing, Mike, on a recent podcast, which I said probably the most important first service that you can put in place as a PMO is portfolio management, because that's what uncovers these kinds of things. That's where you can get that bigger picture perspective. That's where you can help your business leaders make the right decisions with the right information quickly. And often the problems that we hear when, Mike, when you and I go into organizations is, I don't know what's going on. I don't know where the resources are. Things are taking too long. They're costing too much. It's like all those typical problems. Symptoms. That portfolio, what's that? Yeah, those are symptoms of the underlying traffic problem that's going on. So yeah. I think they do have the ability to make this change, but what is it exactly that you're telling them that they should do? So if we'll stay with the highway example, maybe just this one last time, no promises, but I'll try. Well, listen, um, I live in Florida now <laughs> and there's only one road, 95 to get everywhere, but there's a ton of other you know, like workarounds. It's not like the DC beltway where you literally yeah, have water blocking your ability to get there. Right. <laughs> so I'm fine. Let's talk about the traffic all day long. I don't have it to experience it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm not always there either, which is kind of a nice break. Right. I mean, a low traffic area but anyways. So. You might have noticed on some highway systems, they try to prevent the system from getting so overloaded that everyone suffers. It doesn't always work as well as we hope, but it's at least an effort that is conceptually based in good ideas. And that is they'll have a little meter, like a traffic light typically, mm -hmm. metering the flow of traffic from the on-ramps onto the main system, mm -hmm. right? And so we're basically slowing down the start of people's trips, at least the start on this overloaded system. Right. We're slowing down the start, so we're delaying the start time a bit, so that the capacity of the system can always maintain the fastest flow possible. Mm. Okay, so that means, yes, I can see there's a spot there in that lane where I could just zip on, like there's capacity to handle one more. But if I keep that thinking, well, there's always capacity for one more because there's some open asphalt here and there. Right. Then we end up with a parking lot that doesn't really flow. Right. right exactly. so it's a highly utilized system, but it's not a very effective system. I've got my eight feet right here. I'm good. <laughs> and that's the first clue, by the way, if you're doing it right, is if you think you can maintain like 90 plus percent utilization of your entire portfolio resource pool mm -hmm. and achieve fast flow, you're, you're wrong. You're mm. quite simply wrong because it's just like the highway where if your goal is to utilize every square inch of asphalt, you can do that but you'll do it at the expense of flow. Okay. Right? Okay. So if the goal is, now let's keep the system flowing at full speed and any car that we let onto the system that might degrade that full speed experience, we better slow down their start a little bit more, right? That's what we do in project portfolios. If we wanna keep the flow well, we stagger the starts. Okay. Right, And we do it according to what our biggest constraint can handle, like that one lane. Yeah. Right. We don't let on more cars than the one lane can handle. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't let on more projects than our senior SMEs can handle. Ah, so right? it's and all about we, finding the bottleneck first and then backing up from there. 
bingo. And you don't have to be perfect with it. If you have really awesome, accurate, detailed project plans with resource loads and levels and all the rest of it, that's great. We can build on that and get it flowing maybe even better. But if you just have intuition on where your natural bottleneck is and you want to run an experiment to slow the starts, right? Mm -hmm. Meter the starts of projects so that we see whether the flow improves. That's an easy experiment to run. And I've never seen anyone wrong more than once. In fact, I got a little story I can share on that. Yeah. Might be kind of handy for people. It was a, a really large organization with like a five or 6,000 person IT department. And they wanted to try this staggering idea, right? Because they were upset with projects taking forever and not delivering the value at the cadence they wanted. And they were certain, like every single person I talked to said, yep, we are certain that our natural bottleneck is our principal architects. These mm -hmm. guys, this happens to be an airline. So these guys have been around since the last three mergers. They know what happened when we tried to merge this or that system and what the workarounds were. And now that we want to attach mobile apps to it, like exactly where those hooks need to be and right. where right. the latency issues might be. And any kind of big system design had to have at least one of those guys or gals, sometimes a team of them to really get the design right and then flow things downstream from there. Right. So, okay. So that makes sense. And I've seen that in lots of IT organizations. So I have no reason to doubt that you're right. So let's try it. And so we staggered all the starts according to the capacity of just those like eight or 10 architect dudes. I think they actually were all dudes in this case. <laughs> <laughs> and after about a month, we have been monitoring sort of the flow and the speed and nothing had improved. Hmm. Like absolutely nothing, zero improvement, Really? right? None. Okay. <laughs> huh. And of course they looked at me like, you must be the worst coach or consultant ever on this stuff. Like, how could you be that wrong? <laughs> right? right. And I was like, well, Maybe I am the worst consultant, right? But hang on here. We might have actually just learned something quite interesting. Okay. Maybe the natural bottleneck is not those architects. And they're like, like oh, well, how could that be? I mean, obviously, we're a five, 6,000 person IT organization. Right. Obviously, we can't go faster than those guys. I right. said, that's true. You can't go faster than them. But you obviously could go slower than what they can handle hmm. because we lightened their load and nothing sped up. So maybe the bottleneck somewhere else. Right. And they're like, well, where the heck else could it be? Right. Well, that's impossible. Right. <laughs> it's not with our testers. It's not with our project managers. Right, right. It's not, <laughs> right, there's right. nowhere else it could be. I said, I bet if you just asked each of these 10 architects what they're waiting on most, I bet we'll get the same answer 80% of the time. And so we asked them and they said, oh, that's easy. We're always waiting on the business subject matter expert to weigh in on some uh -huh. aspect of our system design because they know the business. And even uh, though we feel like we do too, we've been around a long time. We kind of know this airline yeah. and how it works. We're still just IT guys, right? We're not the right. business process experts, right? So somebody that just came fresh from a new round of negotiating with the pilots union on how pilots should be paid. Right. The IT guy's not going to know that. Right. <laughs> you know, we got to wait on that pilot pay expert to show up and be on our projects and do their tasks to keep things flowing. So that meant that the flow rate was slower than what even they were equipped to handle with their scarce resources. So that meant they had to slow down the on-ramp right. even further based on the capacity of these SMEs. And then everything sped up a lot. What wow. it also did was help them understand, oh, before I start growing a bunch more architects, I better grow a bunch more SMEs. Wow. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> like That's we kind of lost some in the last round of buyouts or whatever, and we didn't think it was a big issue. But oh, man, now we realize our IT bottleneck isn't even in IT. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, see, to me, that makes perfect sense because that's been my experience a lot of times that you can't get the attention of the business people and they're the ones that you need the information from to either make decisions or provide you the requirements so that you can keep moving forward. So that actually doesn't surprise me very much, but it's just funny that they were so sure it had to be on the SMEs and instead it was on a totally different group. And it shows that, again, that they didn't have very good discipline in project planning or they had some experience with agile and some enhanced focus on some of those fully dedicated cross-functional teams here and there. But even those fully dedicated cross-functional teams, they were often waiting on the SME. Like the SME is not going to be embedded in that scrum team. They have a day job. Yeah. They're off at the pilot union negotiating meeting or whatever. They're not going to sit there in your daily standup. It's just not going to happen. Now, maybe we should... Once we build up our capacity with those SMEs, maybe we should. Right. Right. Maybe we should. But anyway. So here's my question, because I can hear the yeah, but monsters on everybody's shoulders going, yeah, that's all great, but that's not how we do things here. So what does a PMO leader or portfolio manager do or say when you've got all these different business leaders from their departments saying, but mine should start first because, and how do you convince them that by slowing down, they're actually going to get more impact for the year, more return on investment? So I've seen two things work. Okay. One is some senior leader, typically a very top executive has to come in and say, I want more value delivery. This is a good way to try and go achieve it in relative short order. Right. This is my priority list. We are executing in, st- in a staggered model according to these priorities. Go. Mm. Okay. That's obviously sort of the top heavy, right? Not, not top heavy, but sort of uh, commanded control. Right. You know, do what I say. How do you convince them that like, what if you don't have anybody that gets it? Well, then you're stuck, right? I mean, somebody that, that's why we're doing this podcast. That's why you do your impact driver, right? We're yeah. trying to, we're trying to change mindsets about what's possible and empower people to try things that they might not have realized was something they could be impactful. Uh, But I want to tell you the second avenue where this works, which is, I think, hopefully much more interesting to our audience here of portfolio leaders. And that is, we're often viewed, PMO directors and portfolio manager types, we're often viewed as if we're a cost center or worse, like unnecessary overhead. Exactly. And how come you can't drive more value out of this sucker for the organization, right? Right. Right. And what a great way to stand up and say, you know, I actually think I have an idea how to do that. And this is something that you business people that are always pressuring us to do more and work faster and deliver more value. This is something you all might not have thought of, but I have because I'm a professional and I care about this and I'm learning and applying new concepts and I'm seeing how this might actually work. Right. Uh, Then that sort of, uh, I've seen a number of cases where that person then becomes the hero within a couple of years of promoted to COO or something. And they're not always trying to defend the value of the PMO. They're just doing it. Right. Because they're showing real tangible results, real impact. We are the engine of value delivery and we know how to keep that engine humming. And we're the professionals and the experts. You're not. You just want the value to, to come out the other end. You want the car to drive and drive fast. Well, we know how to help you do that. Right. And so now we're key players. Right. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about this workshop that we're going to do, because for those that are not understanding exactly why and how this would work or still are a little bit in disbelief or just need a practical way to explain it to their leadership that this does work because you can pretty much guarantee that this works, right? Like that's, you've been able to do far more than doubling throughput by doing this with your clients. So 
Let's talk a little bit about the workshop and what you're going to do at the PMO Impact Summit when you show them practically how to apply this. Yeah. So in short, we're going to play a game, right? So people can experience it. Oftentimes when I go into organizations and help or try and help, they're like, oh, a game. And like, we need a couple hours for that. And I don't know. I get the concept. Let's just try it. Right. Um, oftentimes the fact that they haven't actually experienced it, it makes it a little bit less of a tangible learning. Uh, it's still too conceptual, maybe. And then the, the moment, the first sign of difficulty, like that airline that tried to stagger based on the architects and saw no improvement, they sort of freaked out for a moment there, right? Yeah, yeah. Like the first sign of any issue where it didn't go as expected, you can kind of lose faith in it. And now you start to worry if you're going to get fired and this is going to be professionally embarrassing. Oh my God, I, I better stop. Yeah, right? you're not all in. You're just not <clears throat> because, all in. Because you haven't experienced it. It's not fully proven to you in your reality, right? In your frame of reference on your real world life. Right. So what the game helps do in a obviously it's a game, so it's a safe environment. It's online. So right. Is to see that, wait a sec, I'm doing the same exact tasks. I'm performing the same work with the same skill. I'm not doing anything in a rushed manner. Like I'm not actually pursuing faster speeds. I'm right. just doing my normal thing. And I got double or triple done. How's that possible? Like it just really breaks people's brains to ponder right. like, you know, I just presumed that things would feel rushed or that we'd right. have to cut corners or <laughs> there'd be more mistakes or <laughs> you know, some issue because we've all been taught that when we go fast, something else has to give. Right. But what if we just like the highway, if it, the whole thing just flowed well and we're equipped with resources like cars that are designed to drive 60 miles an hour or whatever, right? Right. Nobody wants to go 30. It's easy speed. You know, so that experience of easy speed, I think, is the thing that really starts to rewire the synapses in people's brains. And right. that's what we'll do in the workshop. All right. And that's, I mean, I think that's really important because it's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to see it. It's a totally different thing for most of us to experience it ourselves, to not just trust me, right? You're going right. to be able to show- or worse, trust the consultant. <laughs> Right. Trust the consultant <laughs> or actually experience it yourself in such a real tangible way that you can easily then make the case because you're, you're a believer because you've done it yourself in a simple scenario. But the thing is, is we're talking about work and organizing work and prioritizing work and staggering work. So whether it's a simple task through the game or more complex tasks in the organization, it still works the same because it's still work. Yeah. And, and I'd go further and say the more complex the task, mm-hmm. the better it works. Right. right. Because any slight disruption in focus on a complex task is definitely going to slow you down more than it would on a simple task. Right. Exactly. Well, there you go. Right. So for all of you that are listening today that are at least curious, even if you don't believe yet, I promise you will be a full-blown believer after you've gone through this workshop. So you want to make sure that you don't miss Mike's workshop. It's at the PMO Impact Summit. Go to PMOImpactSummit.com and you can click on workshops and check out all the workshops we're doing live during the summit. And you'll want to register for Mike's workshop so you can experience it for yourself, see that at least doubling your throughput, at least doubling your throughput is not just possible. It's an inevitability if you do what Mike's talking about here. 
So make sure that you register for that today. Mike, anything else you want to share with this audience yeah, before we go? I, I would just say if you still have a bunch of yes buts, you're you're actually among my favorite people. I was among the more skeptical about this when I first heard about it, especially since I'd already been a PM and a, and a portfolio leader over 20 years. And right. I thought I already knew a lot, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. How could I miss something this big? You know, that must have mean that, that must mean I wasn't very good before, right? right exactly. <laughs> but yeah, you know, so bring those reservations. And maybe the experience won't prove it out for you, although I've never seen it happen yet. And worst case, you'll just have fun. It's a team environment. So it's not just solo people working through boring tasks on their own. This is a team sport. There is some coordination, collaboration required, and it's, it could be fun. And, and if nothing else, you'll come away with a fun experience, maybe met some fun people. Yeah, exactly. So come for the community, come to learn something, have your mind blown with how easy it is to actually accomplish this in your organization with your portfolio, make some new friends and bring some colleagues along. If you've got some non-believers in your organization, have them listen to this podcast and then have them register for the workshop as well. It's a no brainer. It's super low cost and all proceeds from these workshops are going directly to Project Management for Change, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is unleashing the full potential of project management to do good in our local communities and global communities. And don't forget, this episode is sponsored by Tempest Resource. Tempest Resource gives PMOs actionable intelligence, cutting-edge analytics, and real-time scenario analysis all while minimizing the overhead of managing a resource portfolio. You can learn more and check out their demo at pmostrategies.com forward slash 074. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash 074. Check them out today. All right, Mike. Thanks, Laura. Thank you, Mike, so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thanks to everyone in your audience. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Impact Driver, that's it for today's session. I look forward to seeing you at the PMO Impact Summit. Make sure you download the Impact Driver mobile app and join Mike in the community to get the conversation started. Join him as a part of our Impact After Hours live stream Q&A sessions we're doing leading up to the summit and during PMO Impact Summit week. All right, that's it for this session. Bye-bye for now. 